0: Arsenal of Phil, marca Mesut Phil,
1: corner, llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud, marca el Arsenal, marca Olivier Giroud, gol de los Gunners.
0: This is Arscast Extra.
1: Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunnerblog, goodly morning to you.
0: Goodly morning to you. Uh, is it a goodly morning, though? There's a lot, a lot going on in this world. I, I stayed up last night watching people shout at each other in America. Very exciting. Yeah.
1: Well, let, let's not- do that then, will we? Let's just like go
0: straight into US politics
1: <laughs> and, and keep everybody <laughs> really happy. I mean, that's what, they,
0: that's what they want. They want me to wade in. <laughs> no, I don't have an opinion. I just thought it was, it was good television. It was good television, right? Yeah. What, yeah. Like, uh, like Cheers or something like that? Very light cheers. Very light. I think it's a remake. <laughs> I think that's what it is.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. No, I, I just can't. I can't even... Like, the idea of starting to talk about that is just... It's too big. It's, it's too, too big. big. It's too big. We don't have
0: enough time. And... Or enough wherewithal. Yeah. I think that's fair. But anyway, that if I'm tired this morning, that's why. Because, uh, you, know, like, you know, like how... Big boxing match. You stay up to watch that from America. Yeah, it was yeah. basically that. I had, you know, popcorn. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that was good. But anyway, I've been on holiday as well.
1: You have been on holiday in, in Morocco. How was, uh, how was Morocco? Land of Marouane, and and some camels. I saw that you yeah. made friends with a camel.
0: I, I, I more than made friends with him. Oh, Sorry, really? Sorry, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> bad. Uh, no, what I mean is I went on a... Uh, you and the camel are now betrothed. That's it, yeah, I've returned hand in hoof with a camel. I um I went on a camel ride, a two-hour right. trek along the beach. Um, Extraordinary. Have you ever ridden a camel? I have not no. ever ridden a camel, no. I mean, it's not comfortable. No, I wouldn't I'd have t- thought so. Was it a one-humper or a 2 one hump. I'm not sure actually what delineates it. Are, are the different parts of the world have different camels? I don't know.
1: I, I don't really know. Um, but I, where do you sit? Do you sit like on top of the hump?
0: You sit, yeah, but a, a little bit further forward. So sort of on the on the on the side of the hump nearest the camel's head, I believe. Right. But you're on, you know, harness type thing that they put on it. I mean, it's not little at all. It's a pretty big. Seat they plonk on its back,
1: so you're always sort of sitting as if you're gonna slide down this hump
0: and, and slightly, off his head. slightly right. Uh, the worst part is when they stand up and s- sit down, uh, that's very, very dicey, but it's just incredibly uncomfortable. Basically, they bump up and down. It's you know, if you've ridden a horse, mm. it's relatively stable. I mean, you you have a little, you know. Uh, motion as you as you gallop along, but, but for the most part, you're kind of level. Uh, uh, it's like being on a roller coaster riding a camel. I yeah. don't know. How, I don't know why people were doing it. Well, probably because they're the only things that they can ride. Do they have Out horses? in the Desert? They yeah. do have horses. Of course horses they do. Yeah. Don't cope as well in um, I guess in the the you know the desert. So you were two hours on the back of a camel. What was his name? His name was Lawrence of Arabia. No way. I know. Well, I don't think that was his given name. No, <laughs> I don't think that's what his parent camels called him. No, but it's what Mustafa, the uh, the the guide, called him. The, the, the two king. camels we rode were called Timbuktu and Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Well, I mean,
1: it's I mean, like... <laughs> he was
0: in, he was insistent, uh, Mustafa, that I give him a good TripAdvisor review. TripAdvisor has huge influence in Morocco. It seems to really. Be- Define their entire industry, yeah. It's like, you know, e- everywhere you go, they say, uh, remember us on TripAdvisor when you leave, and they put their hand over their heart, which is, you know, a sign of deep sincerity in Morocco. So it's like, you have to yes, you'll review them on TripAdvisor. What? I've not yet done that. Right. I've to them on the podcast, so... If you're in Esawira, Mustafa's your man for a, for an uncomfortable camel ride.
1: Are there are there competing like different camel bosses, camel it, jockeys? You,
0: Is it like you wouldn't leave it? The way they're touting for this. Honestly, it makes the transfer window look like you know a walk in the park. We had a real problem because accidentally we promised Abdul that we would go with him on the camel ride. <laughs> <laughs> Abdul approached us. And, and said, do you want a camel ride? We were like, oh, not sure. And it, it was early in our stay. We weren't really au fait with the, the haggling etiquette. Right. We ended up sort of to get rid of him being like, okay, Abdul, we'll come for a camel ride with you. Then for the next few days, every time we left our hotel, Abdul was lurking outside the door, <laughs> <laughs> like being like, you know, camel ride? And we were like, oh, we're not sure. And he only knew about four phrases of English, one of which was, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> like the littlest hobo. Basically, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we, so in the end, we were walking on the beach when we were approached by Mustafa. Now, we had heard tell of Mustafa from his trip advisor, you know, when we were looking at things in Morocco, he's number two in the whole resort. Oh, wow. So like yeah. he's got plenty of good reviews on TripAdvisor. He's, he's like the king of TripAdvisor. And we were like, oh, we've met Abdul now, and he's really nice. And he, we explained our situation to, to, to sorry, Mustafa. We explained to him, look, we'd love to go with you. We know all about your TripAdvisor success. <laughs> but we promised ourselves to Abdul. And he was like, his head fell, and he was like, not fucking Abdul, how could you? It, but no to be fair his words were i that means nothing to me i have many abduls and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i was like to be fair in our short time here so do we but he he said if you've promised him that's a big deal he said can not just not go with him if you have promised him and Morocco promises everything if you if you don't go with abdul if you want to go with me you'll have to pay abdul something because otherwise you've bro- you've completely broken your promise and that will reflect badly on us all so Jesus. we then, so we had this problem where we were like, okay, what are we going to do? We've got a, if we want to go, we wanted to go with Mustafa, and we booked to go with him. But we were why, like,
1: were, if, why were his camels better? I mean, is there is sort I of like going you, to a hire car place and they give you the option of a mini or an Audi? It was was that the kind
0: of shit? Slightly. I mean, I had seen Abdul's camels on the beach, and they they weren't looking the healthiest. I'll be honest. Right. He had an albino camel called Sebastian, who had these <laughs> <laughs> lovely blue eyes. I mean, his gait was a bit awkward. I didn't think he'd be able to carry me, to be honest. Right, especially after a holiday of food. So we decided to go to Mustafa. The advantage of Mustafa, if you want, if you're interested, if you want, if you want to go with him, he's brilliant English, very friendly, lovely smile, little gap in his teeth, which is very charming. He provides you with the traditional. Anyone who's seen my Instagram will know the traditional, you know, desert dress. Uh, I forget. Uh, exactly what it is that it's you know that you get a little headdress and things like that Um, which is you know maybe a little bit dubious to me popping that on (laughs) sitting on a camel riding along but I was up for it and um, he also takes you to the Jimi Hendrix cafe because in the 60s Jimi Hendrix visited a cafe in a little village on the coast of Morocco and since then it's kind of become a shrine to him so you get to you get to visit that on, on uh, Mustafa's tour. So, anyway, that was enough to convince the, us. The we, excitement of that. I, mean, I know. Clearly. I mean, it's you literally sit there and there's a picture of Jimi Hendrix. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> so, so, we decided to go with Mustafa to betray Abdul's trust. Um, and we were told, look, if we bump into Abdul, in order to sort of assuage you'll have to slip him a little something to be fair the little something was nearly as much as abdul was going to charge us for the camel ride <laughs> so you know but uh in in british pounds not that much but anyway we went along on the camel ride. no sign of abdul um but we finished with stuff and he was like look i know we didn't see abdul but try and look for him try and give him some money because you know you did break your promise i don't want any any problem at all. Don't want any, he doesn't want Abdul like,
1: lurking around outside his house. Because if, exactly. if Abdul was prepared to lurk outside a hotel
0: for two tourists who are going to be there for a week, I mean, what would he do to Mustafa? Genuinely, you couldn't go anywhere yeah. without meeting Abdul. And um, so, anyway, so we thought that was the end of it. And then a couple of days later, we were sat on the beach watching the sunset. Along comes Mustafa with another, another party of uh, camel riders. And he waves at us, hello, my friends, hello. And then at the back of the line of camels, we see, walking alongside the camels, leading it, rain, is Abdul. What? What's going on here? It was like an end-of-season cliffhanger. So, and (laughs) then uh, and Abdul just went, hello, James, like that. He remembered my name, because obviously he remembers my name, where I live, everything about me. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. So I think... Mustafa, who'd feigned ignorance of any man called Abdul, I know many Abduls, you know, I can't promise you. Mm. Are they in cahoots? Is it his plan that he sends Abdul and, you and you know, you, you commit to him, but then he swoops in the knight in shining armour to save you from Abdul? He gets you to give a bit of extra money to Abdul to sort of buy him off, but that money gets back to them as well. They're working together. Oh, my God. It's an elaborate scheme. It really is.
1: Holy shit. Good- I, I mean, I'd put that on the trip advisor. Although, maybe not.
0: You, you, I don't you want know. Abdul turning up at my house. No, he'd be outside your London. door
1: tomorrow morning. You can open oh. the door to get the milk and there's Abdul. Yeah. Incredible, eh?
0: That's just so, bananas. It was, it was a real, a real head fuck, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, other than that, <laughs> other than that, Morocco was great. Right. It's, it's, it's a lovely country. You can't get a drink many places that's right for religious reasons of course Of course um, but uh, it's
1: very relaxing. okay well, but that's what you needed Maybe you didn't need to be hung over every morning. I know certainly that when I returned from New York the other week having been out yes. where you can get a drink everywhere at any Almost time every of the place. Day, <laughs> at any time of the day uh, or morning or whatever it is, uh, I, I certainly needed a few days to recover, and would it, uh, would have liked a holiday, not necessarily in Morocco or or uh, with camels, but you know, just to have those few days to relax. So maybe that was a good thing. Come back yeah. and be uh, recharged, refreshed, ready for all the stuff. Go on, what's the
0: real surprise? Holy shit! I, well, that? I didn't fall off a camel. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, incredible. I, surely you would expect me to be trampled underfoot or bitten. I would have thought the
1: Sebastian, the albino camel, would have. Would have bitten you or something.
0: Yes, her name's I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're a strange beasts, to be honest with you. They, they seem, they all have a slightly lobotomized energy to them. You know, it's kind of they trudge along. I can't tell if they're enjoying carrying people or or not. There's no emotion from them whatsoever. Mm. Um, I would suggest I, probably not. I mean, I'll... yeah, I mean. <laughs> All of, all of a sudden
1: you' you know you're, you're a camel, you're born, and then there's loads of weird people sitting on your hump. I think that probably isn't the most enjoyable thing. Now, I don't know what camels like to do. I mean do they enjoy water sports or frolicking through meadows? I don't know what it is that they like to do or would do if they had the freedom to do whatever it is they wanted, but i I would suggest that carrying people around is, is not would not be their first choice.
0: I think you might be right there. I think you might be right. But there you go. But there That's you go. what I was up to.
1: All right. Well, look, you missed so much. So much. Here.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Do you want me to fill you in? Uh, yeah. If you've got time, which the show's only an hour long. But I, mean, I know. Try and fill me in and what, what's happened in this frantic intel. Okay. Well, brace yourself. Here is
1: everything that happened. I'm going to count myself in. All right. Okay. Three, two, one. That's pretty much it. Okay, <laughs> <It's> been, <laughs> as I suspected, it's been it's been quite quiet. Um, there's been a few little things. We thought maybe Hector Bellerin had picked up an injury. With the Spanish under-21s, he suffered a very hard tackle from a San Marino under-21 player towards the end of Spain's three-nil win over San Marino, and he sat out training the next day. But turns out it was just precautionary, and he was back in the saddle, back in training the next day. And maybe Spain under-21s they could have played yesterday, or maybe they're playing today. I don't know. Uh, but that was so a little bit right. scary. He's all right, it seems, yeah, which is good because we don't have much in the in the way of uh, in the way of backup. Uh, just at this moment in time. What else happened? Um, there's been some chat about him, hasn't there, about his, his contract and what have you? Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff going around about Manchester City. Uh, uh-huh. And obviously Pep Guardiola, you, know, you you could understand why he would be looking at his right-back options because he's got Zabaleta and Bakary to two good players, but you know, the wrong side of 30, both of them. Um, and they're going to have to, they're going to have to future-proof it a bit. There's some talk that that maybe this is perhaps just part of the the machinations of Arsenal uh, or the agent trying to, you know. Uh generate some interest, so Arsenal's offer, uh, if they do offer him a new contract. I actually wrote about it last week, and I think they should uh, certainly offer Hector Bellerin a, a new contract. We can talk about Alexis and Ozil, those a little story there as well. But, you know, to show that we can keep someone like Hector, I think he's very happy at Arsenal. Uh, he's uh, enjoying his football, but, you know, he's he's one of the guys who could be the future of this team or is the future of the team, and we have to show that we're holding it off. So I, do, I don't really buy too much into the Manchester City interest. They were interested in him during the summer uh, Manchester City actually approached Arsenal during the summer and the story goes maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek but uh, they got a two-word response from Arsenal and the second word was off um, and <laughs> So uh, you know, Arsenal are in no mind to sell Hector Bellerin uh, to anyone, least of all Manchester City. But of course, um, you know, agents will do what they do. He only signed a new deal last year, in 2015. Right. Uh, so he would have he would have had a, a nice pay rise, and uh, his stature in the team would have been uh, recognised by the uh, by the wages that he has on offer. So there's no real uh, there's no real rush. You know, it's not like he's running out. So we're in a fairly strong position there, but yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just paper talk, and obviously maybe Manchester City trying to unsettle little Hector. I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe they're not. You know, they're probably not the club I'm worried about coming for in fact Hector <laughs> of the ones who are out there. Yeah, but I think, I think, you know, it's it's. Although he signed a new deal recently, his his rise is pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, he's he's gone from being a, a young player who sort of you know, found his way into the team to Mm. now one of the stars, really. And that, that ought to be reflected in his salary because he's really important to the way that we play.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, Alex, so scored his first goal for Nigeria, Mm. which is good.
0: Yeah. Lovely, lovely goal.
1: Yeah. Keeper spoiled it a bit, didn't he? Getting a touch on it and pushing it in, but
0: you know, goal is goal. Yeah. Goals are goal. And, and, uh, was there talk about his contract as well while, while I was away? I might have seen a couple of stories. I don't know if he's due another one. But, um, yeah, good to see him off the market, international level. He'll yeah. In January, will he? Is AFCON coming up? Uh, did Nigeria qualify? I don't think they qualified. Well, that would be great news. Yeah. So. I don't think they I've got qualified. a memory of them not qualifying. I yeah. just don't know if that was... I feel like there have been so many AFCONs recently. Yeah, there have been uh, a few, all right. Yeah, um, so I don't know. So we'll see. I'm googling but it'll be yeah, you AFCON do- 2017
1: um, Kieran Gibbs got called into the England squad um, because uh, Ryan Bertrand got injured so Kieran Gibbs is in the squad for a game against Slovenia
0: is it? Could mm. be you should know yes it is. It, is it is Slovenia. it is Slovenia he's done well to get into that squad to be honest given that he's He's barely played, Yeah, he has. uh,
1: One start and some substitute appearances, but, you know, over the last 12 to 18 months, he's played very little football, hasn't he? Um, Nacho Monreal, as well, was called up into the Spanish squad because Jordi Alba got injured, and Monreal started for Spain uh, last night against uh, Albania. Um, But apparently, the the call-up came really late. Uh, Spain were already on the way, and Monreal had to travel on his own to meet them there. Uh, And apparently he had to uh, fly from London to Rome and then from Rome to Tirana. Um, And then they had to give him a lift. Some guy had to get an Uber from Tirana to the city where the game was uh, being played, 100 kilometers away. Monreal didn't arrive until 2 a.m. on uh, Saturday morning and then uh, he he played on Sunday. So a bit of traveling for Nacho. Um, Hopefully he's not too tired.
0: Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, he's uh, if I'm right, I think he's not... Not been in the Spain setup, has it, for a while now? So mm. I guess eager to, to get back involved. Yeah. By the way, it seems that Nigeria aren't involved in AFCON 2017. That's good. Um, confusingly, there's a lot of stories suggesting that despite not qualifying, uh, they have made it as a consequence of Egypt being disqualified for two players, uh, Mohamed El Neni, actually, and Mohamed Salah, being disqualified. Uh, done for drugs, drugs cheating. What? Trans- Hang <laughs> on, Yeah, I know, but having looked at the dates of all these stories, they're all uh, Friday, the 1st of April. Oh, I right. So it, <laughs> it, oh, there was a, the long period of me sort of sounding a bit distracted there was me desperately trying to figure out what was going on and why I didn't know about El Neni's drugs ban. Right. Um, which would certainly explain his remarkable energy levels. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, He's hopped no, up seems- on goofballs the whole time. <laughs> it seems uh, Nigeria will not be there but i guess egypt okay will. well that's good for uh,
1: arsenal but not good for nigeria so any nigerian listeners uh, sorry uh, that you're not there yeah. but it is it's good for it's good for us because obviously alex awobi is becoming a uh, an integral part of of the team
0: so um yeah very important well, by the way we touched on england there kieran Gibbs. i'm not sure you and i have spoken in any detail at all about what happened to the england manager your friend and mine. Sam Allardyce.
1: Sam Allardyce. It's it, it's all a bit of a like a a damp squib, isn't it? This stuff that came out, you know, the Telegraph. Have um, there been
0: any more revelations while I've been away? I yeah, think I think the are, are assistant
1: really? manager at Southampton took. Uh, yes, he took like some Burger King vouchers. Yeah, the promise a, a of a cafe
0: Nero card, yeah. with seven
1: stamps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was also so hugely underwhelming. You know, I guess you can see why they started with Allardyce. Look, it's very difficult to have uh, a lot of sympathy uh, for him because, like down the years, he's been such uh, an atrocious ogre in, in in all of our lives. But when you look at it, you know, he he was a bit indiscreet. And I think it was more the embarrassment that he caused that that caused him to lose his job, rather than doing anything particularly wrong. You know, he was a bit rude about Roy Hodgson, and he said something a bit silly about Prince William or his own Prince Albert. I don't know what it was. Um, But apart from that, I mean, it seems just an extraordinary thing. But look, he's gone to. Big Sam's Villa,
0: right? Yeah, Big Sam's Villa. Mm. Well, it's, it's, what a what a place to be. He could, uh, could he, was
1: could, good. Yeah, he should be. He should be the new manager of Aston Villa. I think you know that'll work well.
0: Well, when you first said that, I thought that was what you meant. Actually,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> He's got his own villa in Spain, and it's called Big Indeed. Sam's Villa. Yeah, yeah. That that returned. To mm. But um, I mean, what yeah, did you I make mean, of it? I mean, it was. It wasn't like he was accepting, um,
0: you know, suitcases full of cash or anything. No, I think for the I guess the big problem was that he said it was possible to circumvent rules around uh you know third, uh, party, ownership. third party ownership. Yeah, I but guess. I
1: don't think even that. Yeah, I mean it is possible. That's all he was saying. He wasn't saying you can break the rules, but you can get around the rules. You know, there's always a there's always a way of uh, of making something happen, you know? Yeah, um, that's
0: true. I mean, I don't know if you watched the full video, but like he does say well, look. Obviously, before I take on this position, I need to check with my bosses at the FA. Mm. And then in the second meeting, the undercover journalist um, suggests a bung, basically, mm. to a manager, or a player. And Allardyce very definitively says, "Oh no, you, you can't even." Well, I'm sat here, you can't, you can't give money to a player. You can't give mm. money to a manager. You used to be able to do things like that. It used to happen 30 years ago. It doesn't happen now. Mm. So. It it was pretty tame, I thought, really. I mean, what was his crime? I guess sort of negotiating negotiating to earn himself 400 grand for a sort of slightly meaningless consultant role. Yeah, it's a bit Um, greedy, and, you know, I don't think anybody should be surprised that
1: there's greed and avarice in football and that, you know, someone like Allardyce will try and take advantage of his position as England manager to, to earn himself more money. And people say, well, he's on £3 million a year. Wasn't that enough for him? And look, you know, all managers... Um, do these things, these corporate events, uh, you know, speaking gigs, uh,
0: endorsements, all those kind of things. We also saw uh, Arsene Wenger do his interview about with a watch company. Yeah, I'm sure. I doubt he did that for free.
1: No, exactly, exactly. And you know, you would you would say that Arsene Wenger, um, you wouldn't have said that he is a man who's motivated uh, hugely by by money, right? He's not. No. What it doesn't seem to be one. Of, I mean, when does he ever spend it? All he does is work. <laughs> And then sit at home and watch football. He's either got like the most amazing couch of all time made from, I don't know, camels, yeah. un-humpy camels. I don't know what. But I mean, well, I just don't know what he would spend his, his money on. Apparently, um, when Arsene Wenger arrived, I think it could have been West Antone telling me this story that when Arsene Wenger arrived uh, at the club in 1996, they got him a car. Um, as part of his package, right? So it was a Mercedes, at the time, top-of-the-line Mercedes. And about four years ago, they said to him, Arson, you know, should really change that car. <laughs> you know, it's a bit battered-looking now. You've been driving it for 15 years. And he was like, oh, really? Okay, all right then. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so he's not, like, splashing his money on, on all kinds. But that I think that's the thing, that all managers take on these um, endorsements or speaking uh, engagements, um, Do you see? Ivan Gazidis did a speaking engagement. He was at, Ooh, the, no. at the Vatican. Really? Yes, he did a speaking engagement at the Vatican. I'm just going to uh, see if I can find the story here. um boom, boom, boom. Yeah, there was a conference, sport at the service of humanity, uh, in Vatican City. It was all about sport and faith. And he said a couple of things about Arsene Wenger. Um, which weren't particularly interesting one way or the other. But there you go. There's Ivan Gazidis doing speaking That's... stuff at the Vatican. That's a hey. That's a what? A hell of a gig, I said. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, you just cut out there very slightly, so. Uh, okay. hell of a gig.
0: Not... I see what you did there at the Vatican. Mm, yeah. Mm, indeed. But, uh, uh, wow, Gazidis is at the Vatican. Maybe, mm. that's w- maybe that's where he's headed after Arsenal when he's finished with us. Yeah. After Chief Exec is running for Pope.
1: Yeah, it's like the Pope coming to Arsenal. Young people of Arsenal, I love you. <laughs> like the Pope did in 1970. 19- <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Anyway, um, what
0: else has been going on? Let's see. I, r- I really don't know. PK's retired from international duty because of his shirt sleeves. What? I've just seen this story. Gerard Piquet will retire from international football after the 2018 World Cup following a controversy surrounding his shirt sleeves. Ah, he's obviously been hanging out with Flamini. Yeah. I think that must be what it is. During Flamini's time as a free agent, he was... Wielding his influence on Gerard, Well, what did no, he do? Like
1: have a Catalan flag on his shirt sleeve or something? I think
0: it's something like he refuses. They're supposed to have the Spanish flag on the trim of the sleeve, and I think it's something like he refuses. Uh, he's a quote from PK: "I have tried everything, but I can't bear more." I don't know if he means the shirt is uncomfortable. He says today's issue of the sleeves is the straw that breaks the camel. Now I must point out when I rode a camel, I was very careful to bring no straws with me whatsoever. I've heard about the damage <laughs> that it can do to a camel. <laughs> they say you can put wherever you want a camel. You bring it for some, for some reason. If you bring a straw on there, yeah. all hell can break loose.
1: Listen, you can fuck it here. Take this anvil. The yeah, anvil. exactly. For God's sake,
0: no for straws. For God's sake, don't bring a straw. <laughs> Wow, that's a weird story, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh so there you go. I I think yeah, it's something to do with his kind of his support for Catalan independence and Right. What have you? Right. But shirt sleeves controversially. Yeah, I mean, look, those are the those are the key issues that football
1: and so- and society faces. I assume and I don't want to go there, but I'm I imagine that when you stayed up last night with your popcorn watching this great mm. political debate this this uh Masterclass in intelligence yes. and uh, political rhetoric, uh, wit, repartee, that they, both candidates, addressed the issue
0: of football shirt sleeves and how it might affect the world going forward. Ew, because of the time difference, I only watched the first half of the debate, but I imagine the second half was entirely consumed mm. with that particular subject. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> If I check, you know, BBC News, it will all be... Yeah, all right. Well, uh, we'll
1: we'll do that. We'll do that after. Did you see Riyad Mahrez
0: has been talking. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that, actually. He said...
1: Go on. How did it make you feel?
0: Well, let's say what he said first. So he said that Arsenal did try to
1: buy him this summer. He said, there was contact with Arsenal, but Leicester wanted to keep me, and I was pretty expensive. And he said, (laughs) I did not want to create a conflict when the offer came in. Mm. So that seems to suggest that a there was contact with Arsenal and that an offer came in. So he didn't he didn't want to agitate for a move away from the club. And uh, and now he says personally, I think it's a good thing I stayed put. Now it's up to me to prove myself again. So there you go.
0: Well, wow. I mean, you know, there was a lot of smoke, wasn't there, mm. around that particular transfer? There
1: was that one journalist, uh, wasn't there, who was going bananas, tweeting, it's, it's happening, Arsenal have offered 30 million, two, two minutes later he's tweeting, they've gone to 32 million, then 40 million. You know, he went crazy
0: that day, that guy. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't come to pass. And I, where I, is he now?
1: Nobody knows. He's probably off riding a camel somewhere. Exactly. <laughs>
0: what was his name? Abdul. No, I. Uh, <laughs> I uh, he. Um, I'd love for Riyad Morris to come to Arsenal. Still, do you know what? I, I even at the start of this season, I think mm. he's been very good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm crossing my fingers that Leicester underwhelms sufficiently this season, and we can swoop them at, him at a, a knockdown fee. Yeah, in the summer.
1: that seems. Yeah, that seems okay. I'd have him too. Yeah, for
0: sure. Lovely. For sure. Really
1: nice. All right. Well, look, um, I think we might leave part one there uh, and come back with part two and some questions and all that kind of stuff after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two, the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog, and at...
0: Arse blog. I
1: almost forgot what our Twitter things were.
0: I know. But, you know, you got it right in the end, and that's what counts. Yeah, just about. Just about. I could, I, I could feel your hesitation as yeah. you forgot who you were and who yeah. I was. There was something I was going to ask you at
1: the start of this part of the show. The oh, okay. start of this part of the... what It was probably, if you know how, if I can speak English or not. <laughs> uh, but I've completely and utterly forgotten what it was. Um, so let's not worry about it. Maybe it'll come to you later. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. Probably about half three this afternoon Yeah. when you're gone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just uh, shout it into the void. Yeah, I will, I will, I will. All right, well, look, we'll get on with questions. And uh, one of the stories we didn't touch on in the first part of the show was The Times ran a story last week about Mesut and Alexis Sanchez and how both of them were looking for around £250,000 per week. To sign new contracts with Arsenal, the initial um, the initial offers of around 180 grand a week are now seen as unacceptable. Uh, partly because of the uh, the devaluation of the British pound, and uh, mm-hmm. these guys want to you know deal in euros and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, uh, but also because they're looking around at other clubs and seeing how much players are being uh, paid, and saying, well, you know, we're very high profile players in the Premier League. We want what the uh, well, the big boys are getting, and they're mm-hmm. in uh, very strong positions. Um, so uh, the question comes in from Luke London at uh, Luke London underscore, and he says, "What would be the knock-on effect of Alexis uh, and Ozil not signing new contracts? Uh, should we meet their 250,000 Uh, Pound a week wage demands. I think there was another one as well. Uh, Yeah, Jez Cook at Jez Gunner Cook asks uh, Should Arsenal break the wage structure to keep Sanchez and Ozil at the club and continue to add players of that caliber?
0: (sighs) Well, uh, yes, I suppose they should, but there's going to be big consequences for it. I mean, even if it was 180 grand rather than 250. It open up a gap over the other big earners at the club, and that gap will gradually get filled in. If you put Alexis and Özil on, let's say they even meet at I don't know 200 grand a week, a player who's on 130 that suddenly sees 200 is going to look for Mm. an increase. That's just the way of the world, isn't it? It's the way football works. It's kind of it's not like the MLS where you have like a designated player where. It's fine for someone else to be on a dramatically higher salary than somebody else. All the salaries are relative at any one club. Mm. So I think Arsenal have little choice, unfortunately. I think that is kind of the way it's been going for some time. Ever since in the Premier League, I think Wayne Rooney sort of signed the first, you know, two and a week contract, and I think you know it's inevitable that we will have to follow suit. I don't yeah. really see. A way around it, if you want to, it's not just if you want to keep those kind of players. It's if you want to attract those kind of players in future.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and the thing about it is, is that the two players are in fantastic uh, position to negotiate. I mean, they, you know, they can make a very good case. Look, at, look at what the top players in the Premier League are earning at other clubs, uh, and they are among what in the top five, ten players in the Premier League. Both of them, for sure. Yeah, right. So. Uh, From a market forces point of view, they make a very good point. But also, they're now heading towards the final year of their contract. And again, that strengthens their hand when it comes to negotiating. It's like, well, you know, if you don't give us what we want, we can just hang on, leave on a free. Or the club are forced into selling them with 12 months left on their contract because they don't want to take such a a big financial hit. You know, mm-hmm. now I think we're a better place to deal with those sort of things uh, at this moment in time. Obviously, the financial situation at the club is much better than it used to be, and I think we can afford to pay them. Probably, we can afford to pay them two hundred and fifty grand a week each. Um, I, I would imagine, like you say, it will probably they'll meet in the middle somewhere. But look, the knock-on effects are obvious. That uh, when the when the highest wage at the club increases. People understand that they're not going to get that, but they want not quite parity, but they want to be. They don't want to be left way, way behind. So, if you've got somebody like uh, Alex Awobi, for example, I know he's only a young player making his uh, breakthrough, uh, and he still has a, a long way to go. But if he's on thirty grand a week and he's playing every week alongside guys who are on two hundred grand a week,
0: you know, it, it does create a bit of a disparity there. Um, so well, I think. Arsene Wenger's on record as saying he doesn't particularly like, uh, I think I seem to remember him saying that a few years ago, because actually when Alex Ferguson was at Manchester United, there were times when his his his, his wage uh, budget was kind of stretched in in a fashion like that. So you'd have a massive star like a Rooney on loads of money, but maybe a homegrown player like a Danny Welbeck didn't necessarily earn that much. Uh, Arsenal, I think, generally Wenger talks about having an egalitarian squad, you know, where he wants greater similarity ac- across the board. Mm. So when you have that philosophy it's going to cost you, right? Yeah, I mean, he did try that. I think, you know, with
1: the, with the the whole project youth thing, there seemed to be yeah that that sort of idea, you know. And I get that to a certain extent, but you know, you've got to accept the, the fact that uh, certain players are better. Are uh, more important to the team. They contribute more, and their status is such that you have to work to keep them. And the way that you can do that is, uh, you know, is by pretty much giving them what they want. And players have the players have the the power these days. I think that they, they have done for quite a while. But you know, they they really dictate uh, how much they're going to get paid because uh, when it comes right down to it, if they don't get what they want at Arsenal, they can go somewhere else and get it that's the that's the key thing and i just don't think arsenal can they they just can't lose either of those players i know we've no. spoken about their contracts before and how important they are but they, you just can't i mean attracting them is one thing but you've got to show that you can keep them and then you've got to keep bringing in players of of that caliber as well you got to try anyway because um you know that's that's how you improve your squad and how you make your team more competitive so or it's one of the ways that you do that anyway so so yeah, yeah I mean, they they're, they're going to have to pretty much bend uh, or or find some common ground find a negotiate well i'm sure old dick will be will be working hard there and if they can find an acceptable um wage for both of them then they've got to do it there's just no other way though
0: i mean i think it's like it's it's at least an improvement in situations in the past where we've had, I don't know, the likes of Theo Walcott asking to be the highest-paid player at the club at a time when he wasn't necessarily performing to that level. Mm. These guys are, you know, the clear stars in this side, aren't they? I mean, they're they're the mark players, really, mm. and so reflecting that in their salary, there is a certain there is a certain logic to that, and mm. and ultimately they know they could at least match that kind of sum elsewhere if they decided to move.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So there we go.
0: Just we'll do it. it. Yeah, do it, please. Mm. That would be lovely. Um, let's have another question. So, OK, well, we've got a game coming up this weekend. Mark Starling at Mark Starling 5 uh, on Twitter asks, Are Aaron and Olivier Giroud now bench players? Would putting one back in disrupt the pace and fluidity of this team? Uh, are they bench players?
1: Well, I don't think Ramsey's going to be back. Maybe he will. I'm not, not 100% sure. Uh, Giroud should be back. Do they come straight back into the team? No, uh, I don't think they do. I know we had another question here from uh, At Atwood10, um, who asked, given our good form, would you bring Ramsey straight back into the starting 11 when fit, and do you think Arsene Wenger will? Um, I know we've touched on that before, and I think Arsene Wenger will bring Aaron Ramsey back, but I don't think it's it depends on... How he looks at this game at the weekend, and how internationals affect some of the players, and whether that's going to uh, affect his team selection in, in any way. But are uh, Ramsey and Giroud bench players at the moment? Yeah, if they're you know if they're just coming back from injuries, they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to buy their time. Um, start on the bench. Things are working pretty well, um, and I think it's one of the things. Particularly in midfield, we were always going. You know, when everyone is fit, he's got such a lot to choose from. There's so many options in there. There's going to be an actual challenge to give everybody the football that, A, they want, and B, he wants them to have. But I think with Ramsey in particular, um, I think he has a, a special connection with Ramsey in a way. I think mm. he really wants Ramsey to be part of his team. Uh, but at the moment, it's hard to see exactly where he, where he would fit in. Um, maybe playing with Xhaka. I think we spoke before about that perhaps being the long-term plan. Uh, but obviously, is playing extremely well. Coquelin is playing well. has come in and done well. El Neni's there, who always comes in and does well when he, when he plays or comes on as a substitute. So the unfortunate consequence of being out injured is that uh, teams can, I won't say evolve or move past you, but they can get themselves into a run of form, which makes it very difficult for you to get back into the team. So I think they're going to have to bide their time. I think with Giroud in particular... I think he's probably a little more on the out than than Ramsey is. Yeah. You know, the team style is such with Alexis up front that we can't play that way with Giroud in the team, but um you could you could uh you could make a case that Ramsey still uh is at an age where he could establish himself in in the midfield, but it's how and uh, when Arsene Wenger decides to do that that's the big question.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think, you know, Ramsey could integrate in the kind of, you know, Mark's original question said, would bringing Ramsey or Giroud disrupt the pace and fluidity of the... I think bringing Giroud in might do that. Mm. But I can see a few areas where you could introduce Ramsey and maintain, you know, those qualities in the the eleven. So the question is where, as you say, I think Cazorla's continued brilliance is probably an irritation to Aaron Ramsey and even Jack Wilshere because... Mm. You know, fundamentally, he's the player stopping them from taking up a central berth, but he's, at the moment, just too good to dispense with.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so look, we it's, a yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it, for, for him? Um, all right, here's one from Mikey Arsenal, at AFC Mikey, uh, who says, as it's his birthday, what's your favourite Tony Adams moment? Tony Adams is 50 today.
0: Oh, um, I would say fifty. Happy fiftieth, Tony. It's it, for me. It's got to be. We know you're listening. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got to be. Uh, would you believe it? Mm. 1998. The you know the fourth and the final day. Was it the final day? It was certainly the win over Everton. That it wasn't the
1: final day. No, I think there were still there were two games maybe left to play. Um, right. And Everton at that point, if I. If I remember correctly, uh, Everton were, like, fighting for their Premier League survival. Right. Um, I'm just going to go back and have a look here. Uh, what did do? 97-98. Uh, so I think there were two games still to go, and we might have lost them. Yeah, we did. So we beat Everton 4-0, sealed the title, uh, then went to Anfield and got beaten 4-0 ourselves. Wow. Uh, Arsenal team that went to Anfield that day was Manninger, Dixon, Bold, Upson, Grimondi, Platt, Parler, Stephen Hughes, Luis Boamorte, Ian Wright, and Christopher Ray. Wray. <laughs> so, um, we lost the uh, the final game of that Premier League season as well. We lost 1-0 to Aston Villa, who had Ugo Ehiog sent off after 24 minutes. Um, Arsenal players... Uh, had obviously been <laughs> enjoying their title win um, and were concentrated then for the FA Cup final at the end of that year. Uh, right. At the end of that season, which they won, of course, uh, to seal the double. So there you go.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it's got, for me, that goal was, uh, you know, a great moment. Just Steve Bold's pass, wasn't it, over the top? Yeah. And if I remember rightly, the back four that we finished that game with, because Bold came on. Uh, I believe, as a sub. And we finished with Dixon, Adams, Bold, Winterburn, who were the same back four who played at Anfield in 89. Right. Uh, And then they were reunited in 98. Incredible to clinch the title again.
1: 98-89, very cool. Very cool. Um,
0: So that... So that's probably my top Tony Adams memory. But have you got any anything else that springs to mind from earlier in his career? There was
1: a a really brilliant goal against Spurs. I remember. Hmm.
0: I don't remember it. You don't remember it? Was it? What was it? A header?
1: No. Did he? I think he scored in one of the semi-finals against Spurs. I can't, I can't remember. My brain is my brain is melted. Uh, but there was a great goal at Highbury, I think, where he might have chested it down or something. I can't
0: remember. I just Dropping remember that- Steve Morrow in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, all right. That was an unfortunate moment. Um,
1: yeah, what else? I mean, yeah, it's hard to remember. God, I can barely remember what I did yesterday, let alone, I, mean, I guess we're going to forget a load of stuff. Um, what else? There was that great one where uh, David Ellery, the referee, was miked up. Um, I don't know if you rem- remember this. But the referee, David Ellery, was mic'd up, and uh, Arsenal were playing, I don't know, Millwall or something like that. And uh, Tony Adams thought he scored a goal, uh, and David Allery didn't give it. And Tony Adams shrieked at him, called him a fucking cheat, not realizing that he was uh, <laughs> the referee was mic'd up and David Ellery being a schoolmaster. But there's a great bit where, and there's a little clip of it on YouTube, I'm going to play it here, where he's trying to convince the referee that the ball had crossed the line. So this is it, hang on.
0: <laughs> that is <over> the line! <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah uh,
1: um but look, there must be uh, you know there must be loads obviously uh, eighty nine as well um of course ninety one when we won the uh on the league in nineteen ninety one as well and that he was very so nearly, yeah that was very nearly a uh an unbeaten season, people forget how close we came that season in nineteen ninety one only lost once. And that was to uh, to Chelsea.
0: Was that was at what point in the season was that? Was that towards the end or? Um, I don't know. It,
1: I can't remember. Actually, I think it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look it up here.
0: Was it Was it talked about as a possibility, or was it like they lost the first game, so it was never going to happen?
1: Do you know what I mean? No, I don't remember it being talked about. But it was okay. We lost to Chelsea in February, so it was two one at the Old Stamford Bridge. Um, cars parked all around it, but yeah, only lost one game in the Premier or in the First Division. Was it the First okay. Division or the Premier League? Then I can't remember. I think it probably would have been First Division Premier first League, watched in ninety two something
0: 1993, like that, ninety three something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a
1: strange one, isn't it? Because a guy who who had such a connection with the club and had such a such a great career with Arsenal so that the the relationship between him. And Arsenal seems a bit odd or strained.
0: Yeah. Um I mean there's literally a statue of the man outside yeah,
1: the stadium. Exactly. And you know, he he has had those things, but well, wasn't there the final day at Highbury he didn't he didn't turn up? Mm. Like all the ex players were there. Pretty much everybody who'd ever played at Highbury was there and, and Tony Adams decided to to you know, he didn't want to for whatever reason, and that's fine, but um, yeah, it's, it seems like an odd relationship at the moment. Now, whether that's to do with Arsenal or whether it's to do maybe his relationship with Arsene Wenger isn't great. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he had some uh, incredible achievements. Was he, isn't he the only man to lift the league title in three separate decades? So he did it in, in eighty nine, he did it in uh ninety one, ninety eight as well. And also then in two thousand and two. So I think that's I think he's the only man to, to ever do that. So that's that's something. pretty
0: extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you when you look at his career record, he played from Arsenal between nineteen eighty three and two thousand and two. Mm. Just extraordinary, really. And uh yeah, I think well I think part of the problem maybe in his retirement is that his his coaching career has not quite gone to plan, has it? So um Yeah, I mean maybe he envisaged taking up a position with Arsenal at some stage, mm, but he's not really he's done some work with the the kids of course though. Yeah.
1: I mean I think he's the, one of the classic examples of a, a great player who doesn't necessarily become a great manager. Yeah. You know. Um and obviously ideally when you have a club legend if they could come over and take over as manager then, you know, it's it's brilliant, but in practice it rarely happens. Um,
0: so yeah but anyway happy wow. 50th birthday Tony Adams speaking of club legends and what mm. comes of them in retirement we had a question from Gunner Outpost who asks thoughts on talking about being a sporting director at the club please so thoughts on Robert Perez talking about yeah, being did a sporting director
1: I did see the quote yeah he, he said uh, I've uh, I've spoken he says I want to become like a football director and Arsene Wenger knows this hmm um, I mean, do, does it sound like it's a role that would have to be invented? Because maybe. we don't,
0: we, we don't have one of those, do we? It doesn't exist currently. Hmm. One also wonders if it's a. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable, I suppose, that if Aston was going to continue at the club, uh, then maybe bringing in a, a sporting director who could work alongside him who could kind of manage the trend when Arsene eventually does move mm. on, isn't the worst idea. And and maybe, I've always thought in the past that, you know, it would make no sense to have someone who's kind of Vega superior brought in by the manager. But if, if the idea is that Arsene knows himself, he doesn't want to stay around once he retires, you know, he doesn't want to be part of the board, maybe introducing someone now who Mm. could work with him and, you know, learn from him and then take some of that on when Arsene does leave. I don't know, there might be a certain logic to
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we've discussed before is, okay, when the time comes, when Arsene Wenger leaves the club, um, we're going to have to have in place structures that uh, are present at most modern football clubs, right? So you don't have this... One guy who controls everything. Like the mm-hmm. old classic football manager. He's the manager of the club. He manages, as arson Wenger does, pretty much everything. What you would have is probably a head coach, and that's what comes in. And then you need, uh, let's say, a, a football director or a sporting director who might then be in charge of. Uh, The transfers. So the the new coach comes in and says, "I want this, 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 and this player," and he doesn't involve himself in that. And and quite often they don't want to get involved in that uh, side of things, in the transfer side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need somebody there. So I mean, to have someone like Robert Perez who uh, understands uh, Arsenal, has a a great connection with Arsenal, uh, is a club legend, um, seems like a an intelligent popular guy people always like Robert Perez um would he have the business acumen or the financial acumen to do the job I don't I don't know I mean we don't really know from that point of view but what we do know is that he's still hugely enthusiastic about football and about Arsenal I mean he's training every day he trains every day um whether that's necessarily a good thing or not I I don't know but you know, it must be great for some of the young players to see someone like Robert Perez around. And if he can uh, offer some advice and what have you on the training ground, then then all well and good. But yeah, I think we do have to, at some point, move towards a more modern structure. And if Robert Perez is a guy who wants to do that job and is good enough to do that job, um, then yeah, why the hell not? It would be brilliant to see him. I mean, what do you think the conversations are like between him and Arsene is he Is he saying, look give me a job, I want to do this job.
0: Maybe, I mean, you know, these quotes, we don't know the tone in which they are said, it might be a slightly tongue-in-cheek thing, if, you know, I'm, I'm asking Aston for a, a nice, cushy job, but mm. I think what's interesting to me is that I've always I've always thought Aston will need a director of football or a sporting director, as, as Pierce says, when Aston goes, um, to, to replace, you know, he, as you say, not one man can necessarily do all the things he currently does in mm. the modern structure. What I've never considered before, I've always thought he would never accept having someone brought in to work with him while he was still in charge. If yeah. it was somebody like Perez, who he's got a great relationship with... Who's not that's... angling for his for his job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Who's there almost to kind of, you know, pick up pieces from him. Uh, then maybe, maybe he would contemplate something like that. I mean, whether Perez is the right guy, we don't really know enough about him off the pitch. I think I know that he didn't... For long periods of his career, didn't actually have an agent. He used to just deal with like with a lawyer um, to manage a lot of his football affairs. So right. maybe that gave him a kind of uh, a working knowledge of of contracts and things like that that mm. might have been useful. That might prove useful to him. But that'd be speculation, really. But he's certainly someone who would make a, a great ambassador for the club. I think he already performs in that role. But whether or not he's got the the acumen to flourish like that, right? We don't
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great. I think it would be great. I think anything involving Robert Perez is pretty great. Well, me, I suspected you
0: might think that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think? Um, do you think Abdul has got a camel called Robert
0: Perez? Probably. Probably. I suspect you know he's got Sebastian, Robert, Robert. and then and then I don't know who else. Gilles. Gilles is probably the other one. Gilles. Mikhail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the really rubbish camel. Yeah, Mikal at the back. Yeah.
1: Shuffling along. Sylvester the camel. Bless him. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, this is uh, one from uh, Rich at Kazor La Rue, who wants to know how long will it take for Bob Bradley to get fired from his goddamn soccer football club team? <laughs> uh, seeing as we're facing Swansea on uh, Saturday, they've just appointed uh, Bob Bradley former U.S. men's national team coach who's been around the block quite a bit. He's their new manager. Have you have you seen the um, the bit of furore that went
0: on around this involving um, Ryan Giggs? Oh, a little bit. I saw that excellent uh, piece on Football 365 dissecting Robbie Savage's <laughs> column about the appointment of Bob Bradley. Um, and, and to be honest, off the back, and I recommend that if you can see... But uh, I, off the back of that, I kind of, I kind of hope not this weekend, obviously. But I hope Bob Bradley succeeds because it's sort of one in the eye, isn't it, for that kind of mm. slightly hacked, hackneyed, uh, old-fashioned view of football where Giggs should have walked into this job just because he's Ryan Giggs. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: he d- did an underwhelming interview.
1: Apparently, <laughs> his. Uh, uh, One of the questions was like, you know, how do you how do you uh, envisage getting Swansea out of this uh, difficult period that they're going through? What what should the players do to turn results around? And his answer was like, work harder and run more. (laughs) I mean... Uh, Yeah, it is that classic thing, isn't it? That just because he's been a great player, talking about that, you know, the idea that a great player become uh, a great manager. I mean, what did he do during his time as assistant manager of Manchester United? Like, nothing.
0: Well, sometimes he stood up. Sometimes sometimes he stood
1: stood up, uh, yeah. Uh, But that was almost... The only time he ever stood up was when stuff was going badly, and he wanted to show the old Trafford crowd or the the traveling fans, look, there's a bit of distance between me and and Louis van Hal here. Van Hal is of the opinion that look, shouting and screaming from the sideline really doesn't make a huge amount of difference. Mm. You know fans like to see that bit of passion on the sideline, but his his philosophy is, well, look, you know they know what they're supposed to be doing. I can't communicate effectively with any of them. Uh, when there's like seventy thousand people shouting and singing, they can't hear me anyway. So I'm going to sit here and like put my trust in the players, you know. Uh, but gigs, when things were going badly, would stand up and you know wave his arms about a bit, so people would think, hey, you know, he's not necessarily wedded to the to the Van Hal thing. But the idea that you know that somehow qualifies him for a job as a Premier League manager, I mean, how the fuck did Tim Sherwood ever get a job? Seriously, uh, how I've does it? I mean. You're the Tim Sherwood expert.
0: <laughs> Hardly. I've just seen that uh, Chris Sutton, Chris Sutton of the BBC... Chris waited, Sutton. Chris Sutton has waded in saying, is Bob Bradley better qualified than Ryan Giggs to get this job? I don't think so. <laughs> now, when Chris Sutton says something, uh, I think you can be pretty sure that the opposite of it is usually true. Yeah. he He's savage-esque in some of his opinions, so... Uh, I, I, look, I mean, the idiots are conspiring on the side of Ryan Giggs, mm. so I, I kind of wish, uh, I kind of wish Bob Bradley well. But as I say, after this week,
1: yeah, not this weekend, not this weekend. No. Hope he gets off to a dreadful start. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I hope uh, people like Chris Sutton and Robbie Savage go. Yeah, and then have it for one week. Yeah, exactly. They think they're somehow smart, and then life will. Well, I mean, we all know, we all know otherwise. Didn't Chris Sutton score a? fucking really annoying goal against us was it in the like the the first season that Arsene Wenger took over we might have been playing Blackburn really late in the season and Chris Sutton scored a goal like we were they were supposed to give us the ball back because the uh, because there was an injury and he played on and scored a goal maybe I'm wrong here I don't know, but it cost us like Champions League football. I'm, really? Maybe I'm just yeah. Maybe I'm I'm remembering wrong. Maybe it was ninety six, ninety seven. Let me have a look here.
0: He was he was quite an irritating footballer generally, Chris Sutton. He was a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> that's another way of putting it. And he signed for Chelsea. What mm. more proof could he need? He might have crossed the ball
1: for a late goal that Gary Flickcroft scored. Oh. And I think that season we finished level on points with Newcastle, right? But Newcastle had better goal difference, and at that time there were only two two teams went into the Champions League, and we missed out. So,
0: fuck you, thanks Chris for, Sutton, basically. Thanks for nothing, Chris Sutton. Fucking wanker. Yeah, I am. All I right. hate him. Yeah.
1: Okay, we've got one final question here. I can't remember who it's from because um, it, it was sort of like a. An imagey thing that I have to that I have to open up here. Uh, okay. God damn it. <laughs> I've got to find it.
0: We're on Tentux that little oh, this question. Oh, it comes from Matthew
1: Howarth at Flat World's Edge. Right. And he says, Would you rather? You've got to choose between these things. Oh God. The first thing is a weekly telephone call with Arsene Wenger, during which he will always speak the truth as he sees it. So I guess you could ask him anything about anything to do with Arsenal, things past, present, future, and he would have to tell you the truth. Or, Jose Mourinho cursed so that all he may ever say publicly or privately is Filippo Inzaghi in an eerily perfect imitation of Billy Connolly's trademark accent. Which one do you choose? What would that sound like? Can can you tell me? Can... <laughs> what would that sound like? Um...
0: Billy Connolly.
1: Filippo like Inzaghi! Filippo Inzaghi! Filippo Inzaghi! Filippo Inzaghi! Filippo Inzaghi! Inzaghi! Filippo!
0: Uh Well, as irritating as that would swiftly become... Um... I'm not sure how debilitating... I mean, it is pretty debilitating, isn't it? You can't say that, ever. Yeah, yeah, so you're
1: like, there's a game over... Uh, Jose, uh, your team didn't perform very well out there today. Uh, what's your thoughts on the game? Filippo Nzage! Filippo Nzage! Filippo, Filippo Nzage!
0: I mean, I would enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would I mean, is it beneficial to know what Arsene Wenger's thinking sometimes I like the mystery yeah, sometimes I like the mystery yeah
1: I like I, like I like to think that he knows stuff and we don't necessarily like everyone talks about oh it'll be amazing when Arsene Wenger writes a book I'm not sure he ever will yeah I'd really like him to because there's so many things that you know he could expand on and and give his uh, his insight into over the the course of his arsenal career but i don't I'm not convinced that he ever will write a book. Um, but having Mourinho <laughs> cursed like that because it would be even at home, wouldn't it? You're like Jose, what would you like for tea? <laughs> <laughs> Philippe Poinzague. I don't know why Jose Mourinho is <laughs> married to a Scottish woman. Either. He is wife's also Scottish. <laughs> yeah. um, she is cursed with having to speak in a Scottish accent as well. Yeah, yeah. she's a Portuguese <laughs> lady.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I think it's got to be that one. I think, you know, where would be the joy in Arsene Wenger's little cheeky smiles when asked about transfer questions if you knew what he meant? You know, let us have a bit of speculation, a bit of uncertainty. Have Jose Mourinho only being able to say, Filippo Inzaghi for the rest of his days. <laughs> I think I think that
1: works for me as well. I, I mean, right. I'd love the Arsene thing, but just to have Mourinho, I mean, it would drive you mad, wouldn't it? Like, even going to the doctor, and he's very sick.
0: Trying and, to explain uh, yeah. his symptoms.
1: Philip Bounsaghi! <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that, well, that's all very well, Mr. Mourinho. I mean, <laughs> he was a terrific goal poacher, but I cannot help you unless you explain to me what's wrong with you. So, once again, do you have any knowledge of why it is you're bleeding in this way.
1: Philly points. okay? Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're wasting my time. Get out! Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, well, look, um, we made our choice there, um, so uh, let's hope that that comes true somehow. Mm, I think it will. That would be fantastic. All right, well, look, we will have an cast on Friday as we look ahead to the Swansea game. James and I will be back uh, on uh, next Monday to look back yeah. at all that. Is there midweek action next week as well?
0: I think we might have uh, Ludo Goretz, is it, in the Champions right, League?
1: Right, some Champions League action. So it's all kicking off again. Um, thank you for bearing with us during this uh, interlol Arsecast Extra. Um, we'll have another one next Monday, as I said. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Filippo and <laughs> <laughs> There's a voice that keeps on calling me